we only build what is required, what is requested, uh, setting up min-max levels and identifying where the materials go at, not have materials on the floor, how much material needs to be at the place itself. Bashi presents The Means of Production, a podcast about what it really takes to build, maintain, and scale the processes that produce the physical products that power our world. Every episode, we ask a manufacturing expert to walk us through the nuts and bolts of how they do their job. We explore how and why they got into manufacturing, dive deep into the hardest problems they've solved on production lines, and discuss their thoughts on what's broken in manufacturing today and how those things can be fixed. This podcast is hosted by me, Siddhit Sangvi, Pashi's US operations lead and former assembly engineer at Ford Motor Company. If you're a part of the manufacturing world and you're interested in being a guest on the means of production, email me at siddhith at pashi.com. That's S-I-D-D-H-I-T at P-A-S-H-I dot com. Hey everyone, this is season one, episode seven, and here with me today is Ed Hollingsworth. He is a process engineer with powertrain manufacturing engineering at Ford Motor Company, and my former colleague and, and partner. I work with Ed very closely. So so welcome, Ed, to the podcast. Thank you. How are you today? I am very good. Thanks for asking. And Before we get started, Ed's going to read out a disclaimer. I work at um, Ford Motor Company, but this is my own opinion and and not the opinion of Ford Motor Company. I am not a spokesman for Ford Motor Company, official or otherwise, since... So, Ed, how are you? How is... How are things going in, in during the era of COVID? How is work? How is the family? Well, you know... It's a bit of a change working during this pandemic period. At first, it was quite a bit of a struggle, but, um, you know, in terms of, you know, just not being able to connect and, uh, you know, correspond and, um, you know, work with other individuals inside of the organization. But some things uh, that have changed uh, that, have, you know, to the positive has been, uh, you know, now I'm going in to the office, uh, well, not to the office. We haven't been able to report the Ford Motor Company inside of the office um, ever since um, March 14th of uh, last year of 2020. But uh, what we've done is of uh, we have protocol, um, return to work uh, protocol, where I've been going inside of the plant, Livonia Transmission Plant, maybe about three to four days uh, a week, you know, sometimes on Saturday. So. Being able to interact, work with the product, be, be able to interface uh, inside the manufacturing environment on a limited basis has been, you know, tremendous for me, to be honest with you. So I'm not, you know, I don't feel like I'm uh, uh, caught up. My health is good. And, uh, you know, quite frankly, it's, um, I think it's a positive being able to um, kind of a, a hybrid uh, type of relationship uh, in terms of reporting to work uh, where, you know, we're not doing a whole bunch of FaceTime. We're going in and, uh, you know, we, we're beginning modifications, installations and um, uh, of our kits. What we call our kits is essentially uh, upgrades uh, to our existing um, equipment and, um, you know, uh, working out and developing processes, working with um, uh, our, our team leaders and uh, technicians on the line to improve productivity. So we've been doing uh, quite a bit, and uh, it's it's been it's been working. I think my I think uh, our productivity has actually increased because um, you know we're not wasting time as much as what we might have been doing uh, in the past. That sounds great. I'm glad to know that you're safe and healthy. And I, I like how you're taking it. And that's how many people have learned to take it is is to look at it as a hybrid approach to work. And, and I, I like that. And uh, thanks for clarifying what kits are. These, uh, you know, to elaborate further, these are these are bunches of like uh, items that 
you know, will go on the line in scheduled upgrades so that additional functionality can be put onto a station. It's it's part of modifying a process and then relaunching that station. And that is what Ed is talking about here. So Ed's been with me as as a process engineer and an assembly engineer and an industrial engineer. We worked quite closely on the 10-speed rear-wheel drive transmission that Ford developed for its vehicles like the Mustang and uh, F-150s and, and transit vans. And he's also had quite a bit of a career, you know, with various aspects of industrial engineering. So Ed, why don't you tell us like how, what made you get into this field uh, in the first place and how did you end up in this uh, role eventually? Well, you know, I'm glad you asked. Um, I, um, Whenever I was in uh, high school, I majored in uh, mechanical design. I always had, uh, you know, an interest in being able to draw freehand drawing, but you know, I didn't have that that particular talent. <laughs> Once I found out that I can actually use um, um, triangles and uh, different tools um, to um, do some drafting and you know some French curves, T squares. And then I was able to create, you know, things like um, gears and different types of tools. This was, you know, it was the creative portion of it for me. I think, to be honest, to be honest, where I really were, you know, initially was my um, some of the work that 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 started me off was, um, you know, working. I'm from a big family. I grew up in, I was born in Harlem, USA, and grew up in Brooklyn and Queens, New York. And my father, he was um, somewhat of a, a jack of all trades, a master of none. But he always involved me and my brothers in, you know, just working together. That was the that was the essence of it. Uh, you know, whenever we did something, we put up lights or we, you know, we worked on doors, you know, as, as kids, we... You know, there was 10 of us inside of my family. You know, we was always breaking things, you know. So, you know, he was always, you know, trying to fix stuff. My father didn't have a formal education. He had a fourth grade education. But he always wanted to, um, uh, you know, he was never afraid to try to be self-reliant. That was what it was. It's something that, you know, we had to depend upon ourselves to be. We didn't have the uh, the 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 funds to have a specialist coming into our house fixing or correcting things along those lines right there. So whenever we, uh, you know, so we, you know, we found different ways and he tried to do his best, but a lot of it, you know, that was done, it wasn't, you know, the, the functionality was there, but the cosmetics and the finishing left something to be desired. We didn't, do much in terms of housing. We might do some plaster or painting and things along those lines. I think we did a real good job of painting with my brothers involved whenever we would all come together on a major project. And that's the way we connected and we correlated. I uh, went to a specialized high school in New York City, uh, Jamaica, Queens, uh, that was a prep school for St. John's University. So it was uh, Thomas A. Edison Technical and Vocational High School. And then I was exposed um, to um, a drafting where I was able to utilize uh, uh, triangles and uh, T-squares and, uh, you know, graphic pencils and those sort of things right there, um, those types of uh, initial drafting devices before the, uh, uh, the influx of uh, uh, what we call the auto call uh, desktop. Uh, things along those lines right there. This was prior to the automa automation. Well, that right there, you know, that intrigued me. I was like, hey, now I can actually draw. So that creative aspect right there um, uh, it was one of the things that initially um, it gave me interest inside of uh, uh, other side of the mechanical engineering portion. So from there, um, again, my family is from um, from North Carolina. And, uh, you know, we would travel south, you know, doing, um, you know, during the summers, you know, my, my father would, you know, load us, my father and mother would load us on up and we would travel south. And one of the schools that, uh, you know, my mother would um, talk about is North Carolina A&T University in Greensboro, North Carolina. 
and she um she, you know she um said in my mind early on that that was something that she um uh, she wished for me to attend whenever I graduated from high from high school so that was something that you know that was kind of um initially plant, planted inside of my mind so whenever the opportunity came and I had graduated from uh, uh, a technical program at uh, Thomas Edison with uh, technical enhancement, enhancement, as well as um, the, the traditional high school diploma. I said to myself, you know, I really like mechanical drawing, and then it led. It just sounded like mechanical engineering, so um, I got into mechanical and industrial engineering, in which I uh, I, uh, I was blessed to have the opportunity to go there, and then I uh, received a full engineering scholarship from a clock equipment company to uh, continue with, with my work. So that's how I, that was, that's how what was, you know, first got me into the field of, of well, you know, how I started, how I started it. Um, and then upon graduation, I was um, taken, a was taken offered an opportunity to work for General Motors there in upstate New York, in Rochester, New York, there, Delco Products Division of General Motors, where we made various types of uh, small motors uh, in those locations, wiper motors, the door lock motors, uh, wiper um, systems, air conditioning motors, those sort of things right there. So I stayed there for maybe about, oh, I think, probably about 10 years or so, you know, starting a family, buying my first house, probably a year after uh, I first started in. And then, uh, you know, I started to develop my career. Right around 1990, I developed the interest. The industry was changing to um, lean manufacturers, uh, Japanese influence in, in the manufacturing. And, uh, and I think it was a more call that was uh, just-in-time manufacturing and that particular methodology of manufacturing in terms of pulling material through the through system as opposed to uh, pushing material. So with that right there, an opportunity uh, came about for me that was offered or made to me by um, a joint venture, which was... Uh, uh, Allied Signal, but um, they used the trade name uh, Bendex during the uh, 70s and the 80s. The Bendex name was well known in the manufacturing industry, but they were acquired by Allied Signal. So I took on, uh, an op on uh, that particular opportunity. I moved my family from upstate New York to Nashville, Tennessee. Actually, I was working in Gallatin, but I was living in a small town. Uh, Hendersonville, which is a uh, this is a, a bedroom community for the uh, within the country music uh, time frame. Those particular artists, you know, Johnny Cash and different people of that nature. But anyway, uh, you know, there um, I um, was working directly for the Japanese. The name of the company, the joint venture, was Bendex JKC. JKC is Jodoshi Kiki Corporation, headquartered in. In Japan, so there I learned how to speak uh, some conversational Japanese, as well as um, you know learning uh, directly uh, from uh, my sensei Keith uh, Orida-san on how um, how lean manufacturing works, more lot production, delivery systems, things along those lines. So I was working more as a uh, you know manufacturing, industrial engineering, uh, doing uh, process development uh, type work in those, in those locations. And then um, then uh, another opportunity uh, came about. General Motors asked me to return uh, to their organization due to the expertise that I had um, developed in lean manufacturing and they were looking for an individual with my, um, my skill set, so to speak. And so I returned, so I did, so I moved to Michigan. That's whenever I moved to Michigan in 98. And I started working for a GM powertrain operations. Uh, once I was there, um, they seen that I was very proficient in AutoCAD because I had developed uh, some of it with, um, uh, previously with, um, with uh, General Motors before I had left to move south.
in Nashville. And, but then I started working as a corporate engineer at that point right there, and I was doing uh, facilities development and layout work for, for um, the tech center, GM tech center for uh, General Motors. And then in, uh, I think, 2000, actually, Ford made me an, uh, an offer to um, work within their um, the development of lean manufacturing at, at their facility here in um, in Dearborn. Uh, so I, you know, took on that particular position, and uh, there, that was actually within the MPNL, the Materials Planning and Logistics Department. And what we were doing was um, this particular section. We were uh, developing material movement through a combine system cards, um, developing those types of, um, that particular type of processing um, at, uh, at, that, at various plants, the uh, Wixom plant, the, Nor the Norfolk plant, all of our, um, uh, what we call vehicle operations, which is vehicle assembly operations, so that we um, would begin the um, influx of lean manufacturing uh, there. Uh, as well as uh, some of the work that we started doing with uh, Six Sigma methodology and, and value stream mapping. Six Sigma uh, work itself, um, this was some of the work that was also developed whenever I was working with the Japanese in, in, uh, in Tennessee there, but it rolled over to green belt development, black belt development inside of Ford Motor Company. Uh, this was a, some something that was uh, developed initially, probably back in '95, through uh, Ted Welch, uh, which was the uh, CEO of uh, of uh, GE and the CEO of uh, Allied Signal at that time. But then um, finally, uh, I think the uh, the big three started catching up with that um, that uh, that reproducibility um, that type of um, manufacturing in regard to uh, how to monitor um, operations and uh, quality levels because there were some challenges with the quality levels of the big three prior to um, 1990, I would think, for the most part. And uh, so we took on a lot of those uh, type of um, um, changes and upgrades and responsibilities and, um, and culture, cultural changes, which were huge. You know, and the biggest cultural change was, you know, making things very obvious, uh, clearing out things inside of the workplace, you know, to, um, you know, only the things that was, that was needed. Uh, we had to do some clearing. We would uh, go through different uh, stages, uh, Saturday, Saison, Sichutke, and you know, those are Japanese terms in terms of uh, just uh, cleaning out everything and throwing away things that wasn't necessary inside of the work environment and making things uh, obvious on what needed to be done, uh, standardizing our processes in the way that we actually work. So, again, that I became uh, what you would call a lean manufacturing uh, expert at that time right there, um, you know, doing a, a lot of um, error proofing as well, and then moving uh, and leading uh, Kaizen activities, where we would, well, you know, we would involve our workers uh, at, the, at the plants uh, to improve on, on the operations and the way that we went ahead and had material delivered to the plant directly to the plant from the suppliers in small lots so that they were um, you know done uh, they were delivered just in time so that that kind of you know gave me um, an, a, a start and and I've, and I've continued through that right there inside of uh, my manufacturing experience so I've been involved in all different types I've always tried to take a uh, a shotgun effect uh, to engineering, not just being, uh, you know, a mechanical engineer or an electrical engineer, you know, or a tooling engineer, process engineer, there's all types of, so, you know, we try to put that under the umbrella of, uh, of a manufacturing engineer, all of those, uh, you know, those types of uh, skill sets right then, which made us much, which, you know, quite, quite frankly, increased my, increased my market value. And, uh, and my skill set as well. I hope that answers your question. 
Oh yeah, more 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 than enough. Uh, that was very comprehensive and uh, very fascinating, Ed. And I'd like to break that down a little bit because it was quite a lot of stuff that was useful in there. And you know, I'd like to start with you. St- you know, mentioning that you you like drawing, but you thought you weren't skilled in the the artistic side of it. And and I remember that your uh, one of your three sons is is actually more of an artist now, right? He's he's doing movies and stuff like that. So, I guess that art side did did go on to your your children, whereas you decided to go into the more technical side of drawing, which is very very critical in in mechanical engineering. And I remember my own days uh, drawing with pencil and paper with with a drafting machine. So, yeah, those are the fundamentals of of being able to design machines and then you spoke about how that whole whole era right so you were a professional in the era where japanese methodologies were getting very very popular and by the 70s they had become all the rage in the united states and it's a great time for you to have you know learned directly from japanese senseis and really learned lean manufacturing and the the whole Toyota production system from the Japanese. So I'd say that was a very, very good assign, set of assignments that you had. And you mentioned all of the different sections of this methodology, and I'm going to link it in the show notes. Uh, most of you who are in the auto industry probably know most of these, but uh, I'll still link it for those who aren't from the auto industry, which is where the Toyota production system really took hold in the US, right? Six Sigma was developed by Motorola to ensure that all of the production was was inside plus three Sigma and minus three Sigma of the mean of, of whatever their nominal value was. And value stream mapping was where you would draw like a pictorial view of of your processes dock to dock to see where you have a work in process, you know, taking up your inventory and your space and your time and, and try and eliminate all of those. Whereas 5S, like Ed said, is Seiri, Seton, Siso, Siketsu, and Shitsuke, which is, you know, sort, set in order, shine, standardize, and then sustain. You know, in Mahindra, when I used to be an intern, they used to have five S days when they used to just go and clean everything with their hands. You know, managers used to come down and, and literally start brooming, right? They used to clean up stuff with their own hand, get their hands dirty. So a lot of these, uh, I think, brought a lot of discipline into manufacturing all over the world, but especially in the U.S. auto industry. And I think you you had a great you had a great introduction and a great set of uh, challenges there, which then propelled you to the big three, right? So GM in 98, and I believe Powertrain is was still in Pontiac at that time. Uh, is, is that is that right? Yeah, I was actually inside of the Pontiac at the Phoenix and on that location on uh, Jocelyn, uh, right? Actually, I, my location was downtown, uh, downtown um, Pontiac. It was a, it was a good challenge. Yeah, and and if you guys are wondering, Pontiac is is the city, for, you know, on which the car brand Pontiac is named after because that's where its uh, main plant was. So, I think I think that was very comprehensive. Ed, thank you for you know sharing that journey with us, and I I want to you know hear more. So let's let's get on to our next question, which is, in all of these you know assignments and all of your years, like. What is the hardest technical problem you faced? And and if you can walk us through it, right? It doesn't need to be one problem or one day or anything like that. We just want to step in your shoes and see how Ed faced it. Well, again, um, you know, again, initially the development of, uh, of uh, and the use of, uh, of Kanban cards inside of the place, setting those up inside of uh, large plants like the um, the prior Wixom facility, where we were communicating and um, you know uh, trying to um, communicate to the plants and the personnel on how to pull material through the plant. So this was a big change. You know, from pushing material, people would be working in silos and they would just say, okay, just make these parts right here. And we would be building, um, you know, uh, inventory that might not even be needed. So now this is this is a change. So we only build what is required, what is requested. Uh, setting up min-max levels and identifying 
where the materials go at, not have materials on the floor, how much material needs to be at the place itself. Uh, this is this is not really technical work, but it is controlling the operation and the way the material flows itself. And that's where a lot of my expertise is at is, you know, or has been, um, you know, um, up until up until now well now i'm doing more process engineering with the equipment development those sort of things right there and then you know we would uh you know so trying to get you get that information and you know the pickup keeping those cards clean so that they're readable and we can put that information inside the systems uh so that uh you know they're delivered in the and that they're delivered inside of containers and they'd have safety levels that's part of it just that type of um, changing of culture and um, and methodology you know quite was um, I would say different to you know to the manufacturing operations so this was, this was transformational changes that had to occur and then, you know, we elevated to the point where we started implementing at the plant uh, auto call. The auto call is a automatic uh, method of, 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 of pulling material, requesting replenishment of the disturbed material at line side. Again, I was working as an engineer inside of the material planning and logistics department. We needed we needed technical people to understand and lean manufacturing individuals to understand how that particular process worked. So we were rolling this out later on inside of our vehicle assembly operations. So let me let me just give you a little bit of a background on what you know auto call essentially would do. We would have readers that would be uh, put inside on the assembly line at each particular station, and these readers would would recognize the VIN number, the vehicle identification number, and it would have a bill of materials that is associated with it, the usage, how many pieces are to be used on this on these particular on this particular part at this particular station right here. And then it would automatically deplete from that, okay, hey, you use two pieces if we, you know, that should have been required. And then it would generate a listing of what is actually needed to be replenished. Then you had to do things like set up routes um, in terms of delivery of the components to the line. We wanted to get away from uh, a fork truck delivery. We wanted to uh, develop uh, what we call a fork-free environment. And a fork-free environment doesn't mean that there's no you know, uh, that there's no, no fork trucks. Yeah, there is fork trucks for what we would call uh, call parts. And call parts would be in large gondola or bins that were 48 by 45 uh, in size, those sort of things. But what we wanted to do is we wanted to set up small lot parts. Small lot parts would be in containers with, you know, hopefully with um, some density, you know, 30, 40 pieces per inside of these containers and now we're working from an ergonomic standpoint where we would um, where we would not allow these containers to be more than uh, way more than 30 35 pounds itself and they would be delivered into the flow racking material flow racking which was developed you know as part of um, the trade name is Creeform racking this is flexible but it is essentially um material flow rack it's easy to assemble it's less it's very inexpensive but it's strong so you know so those are those are the types of um uh, challenges uh, you know technical challenges that we had to to put in place uh, and, and you know roll it out at each you know each particular uh, company each automotive or company itself it never really quite took off at powertrain facilities as much but again um, it was uh, something that we had to um, that we were successful with and I worked with that for maybe about I think probably maybe about five or six years of uh, implementing that at our plants and it's still in operation uh, at Ford Motor Company assembly plants uh, and then you know and I guess whenever I was working with the um, 
uh, with the Japanese, and still even with Ford Motor Company, the development of Apoka um, uh, you know, and that's that essentially is error proofing, uh, you know, where we would essentially have, uh, you know, fiber optics in place uh, whenever we would have Ford operator whenever they're doing their assembly to make sure that they, um, you know, they were picking the correct part. And if, in fact, they were not following the process sequence, what we call uh, OIS uh, at Ford Motor Companies, called different things in different places. And that's the operational instruction sheet on how to do the assembly. If they didn't have the correct number of parts itself, then we would have to have things like um, putting in place a visual and an audio uh, obstruction. You know, people want to... In, 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 as an industrial engineer, as a manufacturing engineer, whenever they're working, they really don't want to be interrupted. They want to develop, it's almost like a dance. They want to have a rhythm to the work itself. And that's what we want to do as we are developing process and we are developing um, uh, assembly operations in themselves from a manual, from a manual standpoint. I hope that helps, you know, but again, yeah, that's, yeah. No, I, I, I think, I guess before I, I break down the other parts of your answer, let me first uh, just say that, you know, with industrial engineering, a lot of the work is related to change management, but it's also related to the movement of material, the movement of people and the movement of parts. Uh, there's a lot of uh, movement study involved. And this, you know, while while it may not seem technical, it, it is something that bleeds money. If if you know not done right uh, and you know excess inventory or excess movement and the you know the seven types of wastes and these all all of these collectively steal from your from your revenue so that is how industrial engineers uh, use all of these techniques that you mentioned that I'm going to go over right now to to prevent that bleed right so creoform uh, you know they're just floracs and the floracs are another name for what these are and, and like you mentioned the name creoform is is associated with it but once these are designed correctly it is faster and easier for an operator to pick parts because a lot of this is still manual and you know it may not be the case for different types of manufacturing like like you know semiconductor manufacturing or really small items which are at very high speed but assembly operations for automotive and other large products they require you to pick up parts uh, you know from a place and they have to be at the right quantity right uh, presentation you know right uh, variant and, and and the right frequency and orientation and yeah very very true orientation as well because uh, many of these parts are hard to to determine which way they go on to the transmission or engine or what have you and all this designing all this is what ed used to do and i used to do and while in fact this is where i would like to bring up pashi is that pokayoke logic is possible with pashi you can put conditional logic inside pashi's uh, design where you can say that if something you know matches this value only then you should do this and this is a kind of error proofing that can be done using variables and devices that you assign into pashi and create a pretty robust pokeyoke system and i'll link all of these uh, all of these in the show notes the terms that ed mentioned and uh, lastly mode apps uh, which which you correctly said is the modular arrangement of predetermined time standards is is kind of a code you know it's it's a way to observe the movements of an operator in in what you correctly you know i you know likened to a dance where you were you are in the groove doing this process and you have a certain muscle memory and the operators know best how how to do this efficiently and you record those movements in a kind of code which surprisingly is very very accurate as to how long it would take a standard human being of a certain weight and height to 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 perform and it is captured through this system and it, and it is approved by all of the unions it is approved by all of the companies it has some solid concepts behind it and it's it's a great conversation in itself uh, for a later time but these are these are the building blocks of industrial engineering the way i learned they're pretty interesting for anyone interested in this in this side of uh, production 
So thanks, Ed. Uh, that's a good answer. And did you did you have like any other non-technical challenges that you particularly remember, or or that was that was what you wanted to say? You know what? I, I, I did have a um, a non-technical challenge that Eric actually was fascinating. You know, it's, it's funny how life you know blends into different tangents of of each other. I was trying to improve the productivity of um, whenever I was inside of Tennessee of simply getting valve bodies out of uh, we were making there we were making brake boosters at that particular location uh, for the big three as well as Mitsubishi and um, many of the Japanese transplants here in the US and so as opposed to picking parts off parts of valve strings as opposed to picking those on up um, individually one at a time we needed a method uh, to be able to quickly empty that box so that container and it was made the container itself in terms of size was probably uh, I think I probably say 24 by 17 by 17 inches high so it was it was a, it was a sizable box it was a sizable tote or container okay so what I did was, you know, I'd seen, a, I was at this magic show and I was like, I noticed that this guy was able to empty this container, you know, with like the strike of a hand. So I talked with him and I asked him how he did this, you know, after the show itself. So what we did, so I went, he, so he showed me that particular magic trick. So what we did was what he, the, the essence of the magic trick it was, was he had little holes. He had a, a, a firm, if you will, a firm sheet in the bottom of the tote itself. So it was just a solid sheet that was the dimension of, of the of the container, 24 by 17. And it was a solid sheet, lightweight, but it was a solid sheet. And But uh, the container itself, he modified the container so that it had about four or five holes at certain points, you know, on the ends, um, at uh, on each particular corner, and then in the center. So that whenever, now these containers would be, the parts themselves would be stacked like two, three uh, uh, levels high. So we would have to have, you know, different layers. That's what it was, layers inside the container. Remember, it was like 17 inches high. So in the part itself. So now I got it. Now I have the ability to get. I want to get all these parts out all at one time and still maintain without them spilling, essentially, or me losing control of them. So we. So what we did was we put it on. We set up an apparatus, and the apparatus itself had some some columns or some some shafts that was the same diameter less in the diameter than it was the holes at the bottom of the tote that we were talking about i hope you can visualize this well whenever you set the tote with the holes in the bottom on top of the on top of the uh this uh station or apparatus where where these poles were essentially these shafts were standing up the, everything inside of the container raised out of it okay all at one time all at one time so whenever that happens right there now that that you know we, we're putting it into a vibratory feed system for the operator again presentation uh part presentation we still need these parts to be vertical for the operator to easily grab we don't want people moving out away from their station. Every time somebody bumps an operator, comes within their particular station, that adversely affects cycle time. You know, and we don't want that right there because, again, we, we're looking at trying to keep a certain cycle time so we can depend upon a certain J, JPH, a number of finished jobs per hour to be coming on out. So now we're able to rake, we're able to take that top layer off without picking one at a time. Now we can put, you know, if they were just, let's say for instance, there were 20 pieces at that top label. Now we just take that, that particular layer and we put it inside the vibratory feed, just slide it, slide it down the operation. The second layer would do the same thing. It's small things like this right here, you know, that, you know, there was a challenge, 
but you have to be able to kind of think out of the box. You know, uh, whenever we talk about think out of the box, let's you know let's use all of the information that we've you know we've gathered inside of life, with can be utilized inside of you know simple operations that can be utilized inside of manufacturing. So I I remember that particular. Um, uh, non-technical issue in terms of feeding material to the line and line replenishment it's just you know you know it's one of the fun things that i have done inside of uh, lean manufacturing other things in terms of uh you know just 3d layout work those things right there those are those are challenge those have been you know challenging now but they're so much beneficial you know, I'm, I'm aging myself. I remember whenever we first was doing layout work back in the, with, with General Motors back inside of the uh, the 80s, you know, before AutoCAD, we were using uh, four by four squares to lay out equipment on a 2D plane. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was archaic, you know, what we, were, what we were using and how we were doing that. If you're not changing, if you're not improving, you're getting worse. There's no such thing as, it ain't broken, so let's not fix it. Yeah, I hear that right there. But the challenge has to be that you have to be always improving upon it. And you, you have to be moving forward. And once we you know we look at it from that perspective right there, and I know I'm kind of preachy here, but, um, you know, I think it's improved. I share that with my sons. Uh, you know, I say it, you know, with, my, with the people that I work with, um, that we have to constantly have continuous improvement and it's necessary at the plant itself. And the work is done. Is whenever you empower people at, at at that particular level, those assembly operators, to be a part of that. Now they have a buy-in. They got a they got a stake in the job itself. You can make anything work at that particular point because you know the impact on the body itself. They're going to try to minimize or mitigate uh, any type of unnecessary uh, uh, impact to their bodies. So they're going to find. You know, that's the, that's the challenge. They're going to always try to find the very best way to do a job, but it has to be consistent. It has to be standardized, and quality has to be worked in. We can't just do helter-skelter. You know, we, we forget things or we leave parts out. There's reasons from uh, 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 from a control standpoint where we do certain things. So we have to, you know, those are those are non-technical issues, but they are still technical. That's important inside of the operations themselves. Absolutely, Ed. I, I call it the magic box. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, okay. So and moving on to uh, the 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 fourth question is is that if you had a magic wand to change one thing about how your job works or how this industry works or this entire field, like what would that be? Obviously within reason or within limit, and why? I just think that you know product engineering and product development. You know, there's changes and improvements associated with it. I don't think at, at Ford Motor Company we work closely enough with uh, with our product engineers. They'll just go ahead and say, oh, well, we, we, we want to change this right here. And some things are just not feasible inside of the manufacturing environment. Um, you know, if, in fact, you know, we have the uh, correct um, uh, uh, material uh, delivery system and replenishment for the operators to do the assembly in, in itself and the types of you know changes these changes on the fly um, you know it, you know they, they adversely affect production and there's all types of uh, what the Japanese call uh, muda uh, waste inside of our environment and uh, so you know the elimination of, of, of waste, uh, of doing unnecessary walking, unnecessary operations, unnecessary steps. Having um, a material um, from the supplier delivered directly uh, to our plants in small lots just in time inside of our plants, having access to that so that we don't, again, have unnecessary materials. There's changes that has to occur, obsolescence that has to occur. 
you know, I'm all about eliminating waste, you know, so as soon as we identify it, you know, because that right there comes off of the bottom line, you know, that's a pet peeve of, of mine and I believe all manufacturing personnel. That would be my magic wand. Yeah, cool. Yeah, that that is where a lot of the operations, you know, lose revenue in very small quantities that that are hard to perceive, and they they all count, you know, they all add up, and now you you realize that you have so much inventory somewhere, or you have too much movement from one line to the other line because they are not, you know, planned in a way that they are next to each other. Small things like that can can increase your overall lead time, or it can increase just the the value of product is locked up in in inventory so absolutely and what you're saying is is not just like an unrealistic wish but something that industrial engineers strive to achieve every day which is to reduce all of these mudas so thanks ed for for that answer and one question that that i guess i don't tell my guests in advance and it's like a fun surprise question to close out the conversation is if this was 2051 or or if your grandchild were to step into a factory in 2051 or you magically went forward in time how how would you see what would you see in the factory if you stepped into a factory <laughs> wow inside of the factory itself uh, well i'd like to still keep um people inside of factories working together but repetitive tasks i think that we would see more robots doing you know repetitive tasks itself i look at you know my son's my youngest son he is uh i think he does the same type of work that you do as a matter of fact i meant to tell you he um is work he is a uh, data analyst a software engineer for a company called Solemn, and Solemn is working on, um, you know, doing dashboard development, Ewing uh, SQL, and, um, you know, different types of software programs, and, uh, you know, he's become more more technical um, than, than I- even I am, because mechanical engineering is maybe not as... Uh, is required or asked or sought after as, um, you know, these type of uh, technical works themselves. I would like to see, you know, inside of the manufacturing environment, inside of all plants, uh, noise levels reduced, uh, lighting increased for, you know, personnel. I don't, I don't believe that, it's easier for me to say, you know, that um, what I, would not like to see i would like not like to see all manufacturing plants with um uh with with a bunch of robots running the whole whole show and you know essentially puppets i think the um especially in american plants the need for the ingenuity the creativity of, of people being involved inside of manufacturing operations is critical but high labor or operations that are adversely um, affecting our ergonomic changes, all of those operations need to be eliminated. All of those, that, that's the focus, you know, where we can introduce harm or challenge to facilities. I would like to see, you know, entire plants operated without forklifts. This is dangerous. Inside of uh, inside of the plants itself, I like to see the levels of safety improved. Where we we're improving the way that we operate, and you know everybody being accountable for uh, for one another. Yeah, yeah, I I hear you, Ed, and and I I see I recognize some of the points you're making, and yeah, by 2051, we 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 would think that all of that could could easily be solved. Uh, because it's not like we are not making progress. Uh, plants are quieter and cleaner than they were maybe in the 50s and 60s. So so we should be going in that direction. So yeah, thank you for sharing those thoughts with us. And thank you so much for being on the show and you know sharing all of your life experiences uh, over a career that has spanned many, many, many years. And 
uh, all of your expertise in industrial engineering and uh, lean manufacturing. I think we learned a lot today. So thank you, Ed, so much for for talking to us today. Well, just so you know, just so, and I like to close with this. I have been a manufacturing engineer for 40 years. Can you believe that? 40 years. I've yeah, been that's, yeah. This particular organization, this year right here, 2021, made my 40th years starting as a professional manufacturing engineer. And then I got I to gotta tell you this right here. I've been it tremendously from knowing you. Uh, working directly with you. I had never worked with, uh, you know, an individual, you know, uh, uh, that was from India directly. And, um, you know, and I had these preconceived notions of, you know, what Indian people were and, you know, and you know what they ate. And, and it, I had no idea. You opened my eyes, you know, you expanded my comfort zone. You opened my eyes to so many different things. And and I just, you know, I just learned so much from you, the way that you took your approach, the way that you, you know, that you were um, so um, uh, so focused on improvement, continuous improvement, even though <laughs> we had to fight tooth and nail to make it, you know, make it happen. I, and, I, you know, I just respected you know, the way that you, you know, the way that you did your work and you've helped me on so many different levels and it's opened my eyes to stuff that, you know, that I just wasn't aware of and, uh, you know, was kind of blind to. So, uh, you know, I, you know, I really appreciate the friendship. And then we developed the friendship as well of that right there. It started me looking at things from another perspective that prior to working with you and, you know, uh, I just, I just didn't have, and I think I will, I'm, I'm better because of it. So I thank you. Thank, thank you, Ed, and, and yeah, no, thank, thank you so much, Ed, uh, for the kind words and the feelings. Absolutely mutual. You, you, your techniques of how you manage relationships and how you get people to do what the team team needs. I think, I think it's uh, something I can learn from. And uh, yeah, it's been great to know you and work with you. And uh, again, thank you for spending your time to come and talk on this podcast. And um, yeah, take care. Thank you so much. Have a good day. If you enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe to the Means of Production podcast for more stories from people behind all the manufactured goods we use, love and depend on. This episode was made possible by Pashi, the operating system for manufacturing. Pashi unifies the entire production process for any product, encompassing operator instruction and data input interfaces, stage logic and parameter thresholding, machine interfacing and configuration, robot programming and coordination, and stage-to-stage production flow control into a single Pashi program. Check us out at pashi.com. And until we meet again, Have a fantastic day and take care.